And that's how I feel about that. And if you don't yeah. like it, you can... <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, fellas. <laughs>
Ayo. That's good job. We're right there. I see it. I saw it tick up. Nine dollars, people. Nine dollars. I, I can't pledge more. I mean, I guess I could. You pledge now, twice. No, no. I don't no, you got to leave this on chat. No. It's chat's responsibility. Chat. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've um, done my contribution now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is Super Blood Moon Studios. That's uh, Corey and Chaney. Uh, this is their first project. We're going to talk about more about it on our crowdfunding corner next week. We've already mm-hmm. interviewed them once. So uh, like we're, we're, we're pulling out all the stops to talk about them several times. But that's what you get when you show up in our chat is you get extra, you get extra time. You get free promotions, um, and uh, what a day to what a day to pop in. Um, yeah. This is a, this is a fun project. I've had a blast working on it. Um, I think they've got some killer art uh, and killer design. So good job. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Come on again. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Gert. Gert pushed you over. There you go. Bam. Oh, Done yeah. Boom. Yeah. Thank you, Gert. I appreciate that. All right. So. There's a party um, officially. So all gridlock. Ha- all Corey has to do is show up and remind Zach who he is, <laughs> and then right. things happen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then I feel horribly guilty, and um, yeah. John spends money. Ooh. That's how this works. Yeah. Forty-five seventy-five. By the way. And oh my gosh. Way to go, oh my chat. gosh. Way to go, Good job. Rep. You're all our like, favorite people. Let me um, not to get too like political about this. We'll have our we'll have our own opportunity, I think. But I think now more than ever, we have to support. All of our folks out there, all of our creators out there. That yeah. are, now more than ever in this trying OGL time, yeah. it's very important <laughs> that we that we give Realms of Elgroon and Corey as much money as possible. Well, they That's... also live in Huntsville, Alabama, so they need... close to Huntsville. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's don't put that on. That's like me saying I live in Nashville. I guess really, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't live in Nashville. But you do say that. But I do because last true. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, well, congratulations and yeah, um, well done. Well yeah, done. I'm well deserved. Happy. I cannot wait to see. I want like first of all, the adventure has is one thousand percent going to end up uh, hitting the stretch goal. I want the stickers. Ooh, okay. Ooh. Uh, Corey, one good turn deserves another. Are you willing to tell us what the third stretch goal is as an exclusive to chat? Oh, Corey. Um, oh, on the spot. On the, you you can say no. I'm not going to be upset. Like I'm not going to be upset. Everybody else might be upset. Oh, he's going to be upset. I won't be upset. He, as soon as we yeah, get yeah. done recording this episode, he's going to cry. True. That's okay. Don't. don't worry. It'll be. It'll show up in the cold open. So that's fine. Yeah, it's, fine. it's a good one. I'll tell you that. That third stretch goal that we will. Oh, hit you know what it is? is? I know exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. Um, well, I like I'll it. I, this, this, this was this was their idea. This was not my idea. This third stretch goal is one hundred percent them, and I thought it was great. So um, sweet. Um, if they choose to give it up, they choose to give it up. I'm gonna let them uh, spoil those hint, beans. At least, yeah. at least. Yeah. Uh, I, well, first of all, I like the fact from you. With, with Adventure Four added, all our scratchers are sick, nasty. Well, then tell us all your sick, nasty jams. Don't don't be don't be stingy about it. Yeah. Now I'm gonna start laying a little bit of pressure. <laughs> little little bit of pressure. <laughs> Kill a lot. It'll, don't worry, it'll show up on the podcast in six months. <laughs> you son of a you dirty oh, my gosh. Um, I'm I, so I do pleased. like it though in the stretch goals image where it says adventure added, added here, specific, yeah. like, being very specific about where it's at in the book. That was me. Like, like, oh, it was you. Chat, was chat can we be ch- chat? Can we be real for a minute? I've said this now three times in three different conversations today. Um, Kickstarter backers 
Some of them are smart and cool people. And those people hang out in this chat. Some of them are dumb. And you they need all the help they can get, right? So we do our best to make sure that those <laughs> dumb people who don't listen to this show know what the heck is going on on uh, any any and every project. I'd so. like to remind our audience that Zach's uh, opinions are his own and do not represent the Geeks Camp podcast as a whole. Thank you. Well, That's right. That's right. On, on his stupid <laughs> <laughs> you, know, statement. you don't listen to this podcast or watch the stream. You're a dummy. That's right. Dummy. Um, that's the, that's the pull from this episode. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Corey, I want to commend Corey here for a moment. We, we had a very pointed, not towards him, but towards us all that like, you don't reveal stretch goals unless we've had a chat about it because you, if you jump the gun on a stretch goal, you can't take it back. Mm. And, um. Oh, so and here is Corey playing by the rules, playing uh, the game as it's meant to be played. I appreciate that a it lot. Was a test. It That's was a right. Test. Um, Look at that. Yeah. So it, that was not know. planned. That was not planned. No. No. Zach was this like, all sounds like the longest paid promotion ever. But it ain't. It ain't. No. That's the best it's part a, about this show, man. It's it like ain't. I got no skin in the game. I'm just. Yeah. I'm. I'm excited for him. By the way, it's not Blood Moon. Just want a quick reminder. I know you Super said Blood it. Moon. I know you said Super Blood Moon this time, but last time I did not. Last yeah. time you did not say that. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And yeah. So he's got he's 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 saying that there is a PvP mode somewhere in the netherverse of Stretch Goal. So keep an eye on that. Yes, Killot listens to Geek Can't person in the know. Uh, he's a somebody now. Um, mm -hmm. These are all real things. Um, these are all <laughs> these are all things that are true. That's right. Um, <clears throat> so the I will say before we move on from loosely this topic that we uh, another friend of ours launched a Kickstarter today, and I want to. It would I'd be remiss to not give them at least they're not in our chat, so we don't. They're not today. They're not quite as cool as Corey, uh, but the guy's probably asleep. He he better be asleep. It's uh I think four o'clock in the morning over there. Yeah. But um yeah, our friend Patrick uh launched his uh uh heist adventure over on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um it is bopping and rolling, uh at least when I checked last time. Yeah, it's it is one dollar away. It is at nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. One dollar away I from know what I'm doing then. Whee! That's right. We're gonna tip it over two different ways. <laughs> Let me post a link in chat here. Oh, you, okay, you got it. Um, yeah, that's, um, Patrick, Patrick, super nice guy. I really like him. He's part of our team. Um, and he wrote this adventure that is a heist and also a auction house adventure, which are two of my favorite types of things. Um, so he, he, he's hitting all the right buttons and I'm not surprised that his is doing well. This is just a digital Kickstarter. Kirk, you can pay for at least the rest of your kid's high school education and still back this project. Um, yeah, but. Um, no promises after that. So there bumped him over a thousand. Hey, you're the man. All right. Look, you know, look, you got to put your money where your mouth is. With That's this right. Stuff, man. That's right. And that kind of leads us to the, the, the last announcement that I feel like was important before we get into our topic, which is you now folks have about a week and a half to get your nominations in for the geeks can't golden geek awards. Yeah, you do. These are a real yeah. thing. You can find them in our Discord channel under the announcement or by going to our 
Facebook page and looking there, um, this is the, well, I mean, the reality is right. That I, I feel weird saying this, but I told Troy, we've just got to commit to it and then own it. Um, gonna own it. we could have the most experience as a show. I'm sure there are backers out there who have backed like a thousand projects, but as like a, a public show, I think we might have the most experience of any TTRPG crowdfunding show out there. Or I would like to see we who, know the, who the one that is, is the, if it ain't, yeah. if it ain't us, who else is it? And what are they yeah. doing? That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that said, let, let, let me throw some, throw some notes out there. Uh, Wandering uh, Monster Cast and um, Questing Beast are two great other shows mm. who know a lot and arguably probably know more than us, but they just don't. They don't. They I have don't a, think that's arguably. Yeah, yeah, they probably uh, not even probably. They know more than us. Let's just say they know more than us. Um, but they haven't interviewed a hundred creators and they haven't purchased four hundred games and they haven't well, reviewed we over five hundred. Uh, tabletop crowdfunding projects mm-hmm. um so all that to say we have and so um we said you know what um you might not care but we do about these pro- <laughs> that sounded harsh let me back <laughs> off that let me back off that i just told you all you were smart and then i'm like hey yeah um we hand, want to find another way <laughs> yeah we want to find another way of uh promoting these cool, cool creators that we've seen put out amazing products over the last year. And um, it's, that's been a priority on the show for the, from the very beginning that we uh, give note to things that are noteworthy. And so we're going to try to do that in another way with this award show. Um, so submit your nominations. It's a very short form. Um, and it won't take you about three minutes to fill it out. Um, we're going to look at all those, and then on January 22nd, we're going to do a little award ceremony here on the live stream. We're going to talk about some of the nominations, and we're going to name the winners of the 2022 Golden Geek Awards. So, right. Very prestigious. Yeah. Very right. prestigious. It's a prestigious award. They are not jokes, though. Uh, no. There are, there are yeah. a couple joke ones at the bottom, but, but almost all of the awards are, like, these are earnest awards that we want to give to true creators these are not like haha funny um pitches right do we want to give kind of like a a a stream sneak peek of what the categories are i am fine with doing that if we feel like uh we can jump right from that into our topic for the evening i think so that's just really quick we'll go zip down really quickly so best gaming product is going to be our is going to be our number one the and it recognizes the best gaming product released by a publisher best crowdfunded product and then best gaming zine, which I'm really excited about that one. Best crowdfunding campaign specifically recognizes the quality and the promotion, presentation, and communication of the, the campaign. Uh, best publisher, um, and then let's see, best new publisher, which is going to be uh, someone that delivered an incredible product in 2022. Now, the, the, the specifics on that are: do they have to have come into being in 2022? Then no. They don't have to come into being because it says they can't have published more than two products prior than prior to 2022. There you so, go. Um, there you go. they're allowed to be like, if you're published stuff on itch or things like that previous, that's okay. What we're looking mm. for is people who kind of hit the scene this year. Yep. And then best cover art, super excited about the art pieces, best interior or layout. And then uh, geeks can't discovery of the year. So like the, those 
uncut, those uh, sweet gems that we found in the, in the rough, the guest of the year on the show, and then our uh, Geeks Can't Other Podcaster of the Year uh, award. And then we'll, we're going to go outside of the gaming sphere and go to best TV show and best movie. Yeah, so not unintentionally, 13 awards um, being handed out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, and the last two are the two that we don't really aren't too worried about being serious. Obviously, we're going to have a fun discussion about it, but to talk about movies, best movie and best television, like we could do probably a whole episode on that, but we're not going to give over much time on the show mm-hmm. on the 22nd to talking about those things. It's just something that we felt like would be a fun thing to discuss, and we've definitely chatted about our share of television and movies on the so, show so be some fun so stuff there what, what happened to my category suggestion what was your category suggestion who shit the bed the best this year mm. <laughs> well i mean you know well. um that's a write-in option that's yeah. a write-in option <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right yeah anyhow so uh that's gonna happen on the 22nd we'd love for y'all to to pop back in and and watch that but before you do at least go fill out the form um and we'd be we'd appreciate seeing uh your nominations i've already seen a few rolling in and um excited to see more and make sure you dress nice that night that's right no sure. no. no that like no? watering monster did that and i it felt awkward let's just say it that way like <laughs> i didn't mean us i meant everybody out oh, there. oh yeah, yeah yeah no 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 yeah mm. i agree there yeah girk Kill a lot, gridlock, Tim, like black tie only. Commander Root, like you guys should all be wearing suit and tie. Um, or evening dress. We're evening not. dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, um, that's where we're that's where we're at. <clears throat> okay. With that out of the way, let's do the fight of the century. Uh Simbarum versus the one ring two week. Put your money where our mouth is. Or something. Let's restart. John, Troy, and myself get an itch to do some writing every once in a while, and when that happens, we publish it through World of Game Design. Head on over to store.wogd.com to find books like Oceanic Depths, Scrap Rats, and Motherload that feature design by your delightful and charismatic hosts. Again, that's store.wogd.com. W-O-G-D dot com. All right. So let's, so this is not really a fight. Let's get that out of the way right out of the game. Right. Um, um, like Godzilla and King Kong, you love them both. You love them both. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, the reality of this is that these are two systems that kind of in the back half of 2022, our crew kind of dove into in different ways. Um, John played with me in some one ring stuff and Troy played with me in some Simbarum stuff. And we all had a great time all the way around. Um, John hung out and went through character creation and kind of was tangentially tied to our Simbarum stuff. Troy hung out and talked about rules and talked about our characters and yada, yada, yada for the one ring stuff. So all three of us, lived in these two systems for the second half of the year. And we had a um, friend of the show, Ulysses reach out and say, Hey, since you both, since you all three kind of had an experience there, could we have a chat about your thoughts on those two systems since you've got extended time in them now? Um, and I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun chat. And it's kind of plays into like the year in review sort of a thing. We're looking back on 2022, two very big systems for our crew in 2022 were Simbrum 
and One Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so we played quite a bit of One Ring in particular mm-hmm. over the course mm-hmm. of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I should probably plug like I'm the worst at this, but I, I've done pretty good tonight. Um, I should probably plug that if you're curious about either one of these systems after watching this show. There is a how to play video on our YouTube channel for each one of them that you might find helpful. Um, but um, yeah, let's, so we're, let's see. What should we start with? Um, so overview. I'm gonna let you two do the overviews for these systems. Can, so let's start with John because John, you feel you sounded very confident about your uh, mm-hmm. One Ring experience. Uh, yeah. Can you give us an overview on what the heck One Ring is and highlights? So I think it's the when you look at the the One Ring, it's actually the second edition of of the One Ring that was that's been published by Free League. Um, they first of all, let me let me say this: like I, I'm all about aesthetic, really. When it comes to yeah. when it comes to when I I need to like immerse myself in a book or a rule set or something like that because I'm just I'm really visual, and that's the first thing that kind of grabs me. It feels like a Lord of the Rings yeah. book. Right. Yeah. The, the artwork is great. Layout design is really great. It's not so jam packed full of text to where it's overwhelming to the eye. Um, the color palette is fantastic. But I mean, like when we talk about like the actual mechanics of the game, though, th- what it's it really boils down to almost three distinct features in the game in re- regards to how it's actually played. I mean, there's a combat component, but there's a very distinct method by which they a mechanical method of exploration and puzzle solving and things like that. And puzzles are really important in the game. There's actually a skill that's dedicated entirely to puzzle solving and riddle solving and stuff like that. But I think that there was, there's that. And then uh, the third one is actually, and I'll kind of go, I'll circle back to it, but the third one is, is all about travel, right? The thing that people complain about the most about the books and the movie and stuff like that, seemingly at least is that it's just a bunch of people walking uh 80% of the time, right? And how can you make it walking excited? Well, I'll get back to that. Um but but the basic crux of it is it's set during um the same age in Middle Earth as uh the the books take place, the Lord of the Rings trilogy take place. But it happens a bit before the fe- before the fellowship sets out, before Gandalf discovers the one ring is in Bilbo's uh possession things like that. I think it actually happens before actually. And it happens though. It happens after the battle of the five armies though. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's just like, it's like the episode between episodes three and four in the star Wars trilogy kind of thing where it's just this, yeah. what happens during the gap, right? Yeah. Well, your adventures are what happened during the gap. And I think that's really awesome because there's enough of the enough that you're familiar with from the Hobbit to like, to get you into the game and get you excited about playing in a middle earth setting. But then when you, but if there's, you know, what's on the horizon and you're trying to figure out like what your part is in what you already know is going like meta wise, what's going to end up happening. I think that's really cool. Your uncover, your characters are going to be re- responsible for uncovering secrets or uh, going on quests and things like that for these patrons that you're going to be devoted to help patrons like Elrond, Gandalf, yeah. people, Bilbo, people like that. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things I really love about it is that first of all, they are like, they're super characters, right? There's the, they're the, the main characters in the other stories that you're going to as, as quest givers effectively. And it's not only they're as their patrons, each one is tied to a specific, um, like a desire, a goal or a motivation 
Like, you know, so Gandalf is about, you know, getting the word out about the, the rising in it, like the rising evil that that's happening. Or uh, Bilbo is a, is a treasure hunter and a treasure seeker. So whenever he heals you, these different patrons may send you on different types of quests. So when you, when you form your fellowship at the very beginning, the patron is out is as important as any of the character options that you create for yourself, because it's going to distinguish possibly it's going to be very, it's going to color your campaign and how the campaign rolls out. Um, kind of like picking the genre of adventures that you want yes. to participate in, which I think is yep. a cool idea. Um, imagine if, you know, you met in a tavern and then uh, in your D and D campaign. And then you, there were some dwarves and they want you, they're saying, Hey, we have some dungeons that need cleared <laughs> and yada, 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 yada. Right. And you got to sit here and say, I want to do a heist or I want to do a dungeon delver, or I want to do a political intrigue or whatever. And you just go pick the Patreon that's going to take you on those sorts of adventures. Mm-hmm. That's what this feels like. Yes, exactly. Okay. So let me ask you something then. Cause I, you know, it's been a while since we talked about all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, is if you pick Gandalf for for this adventure, when you're done with the adventure, do you then get to pick a different patron for a new adventure? Or is Gandalf always going to be your patron? And so he's always sending you on quests to find out the, the you know more information about the rising evil. Or can yeah, you so then the pa- go to Bilbo? Yeah, so the patrons are starting patrons. Okay. So you could actually swap from one patron to the next. There could be a handoff or you could say whatever, right? So you don't have to stick to that one specific one the entire time. Okay. Does everybody have to be part of the, you know, be, have the same patron? Can you? Yes. Yes. Because you the fellowship, fellowship is getting a patron for the fellowship. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's a party, party patron. Yep. Party patron. <laughs> they kind of give you some examples here too. So, we, so Zach touched on. Gandalf and Bilbo, but there's also there's uh, Gilrain, the daughter daughter of uh, Deerhale, who's kind of like the the Rangers of the North, your mother of everyone, right? Tom Bombadil and Lady Goldberry. So if you were like really upset about Steve Jackson cutting out all the the Tom Peter Bombadil Jackson. stuff, then you what would I say? Screw Steve. that Steve Jackson guy. Whatever. He doesn't know I'm what sorry. he's doing. Yeah, Peter <laughs> Pet- Petrov Jackson. Just like like Zach says, PJ. <laughs> Yeah. PJ, oh PJ! Yeah. If, if you were upset about the Lord of the Rings movies not having Tom Bombadil, then you can get all you can get your fill in the in the game because uh, Tom Bombadil is a uh, is a patron. Balin, son of Fundin, personal fave, uh, and Kyrdan the the shipwright. And so to kind of give you some ideas, that each one of them has an agenda, and there's a specific advantage that each that your the their characters will get based on which patient patron that you've chosen you selected as a whole. So we'll use <clears throat> Gandalf is a, is a good one. So uh, the to warn the free peoples and inspire them to action. That is his agenda, and his uh, additional advantage is like essentially really good at, at uh, combating shadow tests. It's like shadow tests are like whenever the shadow or evil oppresses you, tempts you, or tries to lay a, lay a taint upon you, then um, it is your your resistance to it is a shadow test. You're resisting evil, resisting the like the the power of the One Ring or something like that. And if you have Gandalf at your back; those tests are made easier. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I think good. another one. What's that? That's, that's good because you I mean I don't want anybody you know any strange things you know putting their taint on me. Well, I don't either. As soon as I said taint, I knew he was right. <laughs> I, knew you, I could count on you, buddy. I knew I could count on you. Um, it's kind of like that low hanging fruit right off the well, taint. Definitely. Oh my god! 
ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the words spoken by Troy Sandlin. Yes, they are. Yes, the they are. Of Geeks Cans podcast or the rest of its hosts. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to hear this because I'm going to edit all that out. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> you suck. Um, you're gonna or you're somehow going to change. You're going to auto tune it to where it's my voice instead. Yep. I'm sure. Yep. Um, like Tom Bombadil's protect the land, find and preserve what's buried. Bilbo is recover lost lore and lost things. You kind of get the idea. Each one of them has a motivator or an agenda and the stuff that you're going to end up doing for them is going to kind of like be in, in line with that. So yeah. yeah, you can, you can do eight to 10 sessions for Gandalf. You could do eight to 10 sessions. Then for okay. he hands you off to Thorin uh, or whoever. Thorin or whoever. Right. And it's, and it doesn't, these patrons are just like the, these are the starting patrons. So, you know, crafty GMs obviously, and good creative GMs can tap into other patrons that are that are out there that are not written up and they kind of give they, at least gives you an, uh some options to go off so of. okay so you're so like in the movies in the lord mm-hmm. of the rings movie so initially the beginning patron would be gandalf mm-hmm. yeah and then as as they go along you could you Elrond. could say that that well mm-hmm. or or would Arag- aragorn be a patron for like or strider become a patron or see more yeah, like for just a brief a, moment the fact that he like moment. he takes you to through he kind of takes you on a different path yada yada because mm-hmm. because like i don't think yeah i would agree aragorn definitely elrond later 100 yeah. percent. Right? and then gladriel and yeah or like I like i would even anybody... say like uh i would say like of the rohirrim right so like um mm. king theoden would probably be a patron to aragorn at one point like it would yeah it would almost like they would be he would Aragorn was then subsumed into the fellowship back into the fellowship and kind of like took a more like a party member role. And then he was the, then he, then uh, Theoden was his patron right. uh, during the two towers. Yeah. yeah. I really like the patrons. The other thing I really like about this game to throw, to throw another aspect in is that they, they ignore the idea of a class. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have uh, cultures um, which are, like you know, um, uh, elves of Rivendell, or elves of uh, um, uh, Linden, Linden, or you have um, uh, Bar- uh, um, um, gosh, all my words Bardings. disappeared. But you have Bardings, you have um, uh, Minabri, you have people like that, right? So different mm-hmm. different cultures you can pick, and really that is a big determination of some of the core features of your character mm-hmm. is if you are a dwarf or an elf of a certain place or a man of a certain place or a, ha- or a hobbit like these are things that really matter to building your character and you get some really cool abilities and the other thing that's really cool about them is that you um you, when you level up quote unquote one of the things that you can get is expanding the cultural abilities of your chosen race Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, you picked your race stuff at the beginning or you picked your race and that's it. It's like, no, when you level up, maybe you get another aspect of your race comes to light and whatever. So really like yeah. that. And then they have race. But then the other thing that they do instead of classes is they do callings, which I think is great. It's great flavor yeah. to say every person that's in the fellowship has a calling, something that they are born to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's effectively like a job or a role, right? In, in less. Some, I, yeah, less than a job though, right? Like because right. a job is almost like a p- profession or something that like you would say in the world around you like, "Oh, I'm a carpenter." It's not mm-hmm. like that, right? 
it's the idea of you want to be a captain. You're a captain. You you want to lead people. You want to inspire people. You're a champion. You want to lead the charge. You want mm. to fight against evil. You're a warden. You want to protect things. Mm. You're a scholar. You want to understand and study and unearth things. Like these callings, treasure hunter, like they have great flavor and they make it so that your man of Lake Town is going to be very different from somebody else's man of Lake Town. If one of you is playing a treasure hunter, and one of you is playing a captain, right? Um, right. Really, really great. Yeah. So the and the race the 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 cultures, excuse me, they don't refer to them as races or species, but the culture is like each one of them gets a specific blessing that that set that kind of separates sets them apart. But it also, um, with attributes, I thought that was interesting too. It was like uh, you can either roll when you roll, you roll a d six, and then you can you take whatever the array that's associated to it or you can obviously you can just choose your choose one of the the six options that you want to but each culture has a set value for their their derived stats Mm -hmm. like like for for example dwarves have there are three like uh, because this is the year zero engine they have kind of yeah kind of right right Uh, they have three uh, like big attributes wherein like um you'd have like and D you'd have like a strength dex con yada yada they've got strength heart and wits and so they're they've kind of lumped up two of the traditional of the six in each of the three that they've got here and so for dwarves you've got strength of seven heart two wits five or seven three four six three five etc etc so like there are six different kind of like attribute builds for dwarves that, that you could you could either roll randomly to see which one you get or uh, you Pick can one. select yeah yeah what so John uh, uh, like um, as a whole one thing that might be useful is to say like mm-hmm. let's let's do bullet point like one word or one phrase like well we'll save this the second part of this for a minute <laughs> for a minute later I want to get Troy's thoughts on Symbarum kind of do an overview there but let's let's do a summary of the highlights of this game so we've talked mm-hmm. about like Patrons, we've talked about play style. We've talked about the three types of uh, three parts of an adventure. We've talked about generating, you know, like the idea of how characters are formed. But like, what are the highlights of this game that you think here's two or three or four things that might draw you to this? Uh, the fellowship is incredibly important. Your fellowship, whether it's it is bound together or breaking, is really important. And you may have you you are not uh you you will succeed or fail together right you may yeah. lose one like you lot with you when you lose boromir in the first book right like they 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 fell away but the the there were still the fellowship was still together right your fellowship is really important it is i love the fact that it is uh it's like a glass of warm milk man this is like it's it's a heroic tale right and it, it could go wrong right you could you know be consumed by a balrog you could uh be skewered by goblins whatever something bad could happen but there's like a sense of nobility and heroism it's just something that's like virtuous yeah. about yeah. it that I, I really enjoy it's kind of a palate cleanser compared to a lot of like the gray area that we sit in with and the darkness that we sit in with a lot of rpgs these days and that's not a bad necessarily <clears throat> because i love those games too but i say that that's it too i think that travel is actually important really really important uh, they, the getting from point a to point b is perilous as hell and exhausting 
<clears throat> and um, not to you, but to your character. Like, to your character, you can you, no. you can do a travel session, and it takes half a session. Yes, but but and and it feels kind of fast. But then you get to the end, and you're like, oh my gosh, my character is like stumbling <laughs> that they haven't even gotten to the thing, right? Exactly, and that's actually one of the things that I thought was a highlight of it, aside from everything else and it being Lord of the Rings, but that's one of those things that I'd always like, how do I make going from point A to point B really interesting and mean something, right? You always hear the old adage of it's not the destination, it's the journey. Well, not really when you're playing D and D it's pretty freaking boring most of the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you do it the, like in the first three levels, you may do it a couple of times, like these extended sessions where you're sitting at the campfire and you're doing stuff, but then you kind of wave your hand at it and you're like, all right, well, and then you montage, boom, here's where you're, where you're at next. You discover things as you as you travel that get in the way that unlock things and uncover things about where you're going to end up going. And that travel is important that and uh, not only is it is it perilous and, and is it uh, it's challenging to the character, but it's actually travel is actually important going along the way. Um, aside from that, it's like, again, it's like the it's, it was incredibly thematic. I mean, it was a Lord of the Rings game and everything that was built around it was like it was really well honed to make you feel like you're playing in middle earth that mm -hmm. your your decisions had weight that um your culture was distinct and it was important it had its own place that was in the world um but i think the mechanics were they took some getting used to at the very beginning in particular there, there was not like beginner mechanics i think uh but uh but they work really, really well in Vana. I, one of the things I really enjoyed about it too is what was it? The, um, is the virtues uh -huh. the virtues of the, yeah. Where like, it's almost like a negotiation that happens. And this is, I've, I've noticed this with other free league uh, games, like uh, tales from the loop is, is a pretty good example too, where you have like these uh, three items that are kind of like specific items that are your items. Like I had a, my dwarf had a war horn, a crowbar. Items, yeah. Useful, yeah, a dwarf, a warhorn, a uh, uh, crowbar, and then a uh, like a tankard or fla a, a, a flask of mead from home, right? And so those three items specifically, you'd have other items that were like kind of in your employee, but those three items were kind of like signature items to you, and they were important. And if you were to, you needed to do something, and you're gonna have to roll to to see whether or not you succeed, you could use those to leverage like a it, not advantage necessarily, but an additional die to yeah, uh, by expending hope, right? In order to to get a bonus for it. Same thing goes for these virtues, also. Like mine were fierce, noble, and something else like resolute or something like that. I think. And so, if you're doing something ferociously, like it makes sense. And there's almost like a not a, a soft negotiation, narrative no negotiation between you and the GM or the lore master in, in this case. Like, well, okay, so I'd like, I, I'm going to act this out a little bit and I'm like really angry. So I'm really ferocious right now and I'm trying to intimidate them. And I'm like, you know, if you have that negotiation with the, the GM, you can also add additional advantage to your roles as, or bonus die to your roles from that also. So these things kind of stack up, right? Whenever, like circumstantial bonuses that stack up. And I really liked that from an RP perspective because. I can go back to like just three words and say, well, this is, these are kind of like signature personality traits of my character. And whenever he deals with certain situations, this is kind of, this is the behavior is going to revolve around these personality traits for him too. And then these are just like signature items. And 
So when he either, you know, when he blows his war horn, he knows it's he's serious. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they're the, like, where did he get them from? And why does he still have them? And things like that. So I'm, I really I really liked that. I think there were yeah. these were things that we kind of dabble with in D&D and with some of the other stuff that's out there. But they're not as they don't they don't have like a singular importance. Right. Yeah. I really, really like just simple words that describe your character's personality in particular. Mm-hmm. But really, it just helps. You can just go back to it like an anchor point. And mm-hmm. when you're when you're acting something out or you're trying to role play something out, it's like I can go back to it, it's like noble. Well, he's noble. He has to handle the certain situations a certain way. But then he's ferocious. Well, maybe he has a temper too that he's trying to keep. Yeah. So, so he's kind of like it's what it does is it creates more layers to your character. And I just I, I really liked it. I think those are the kind of like the, the highlights for me anyway. I like that you know how you how you put that because that's one of the things from D and D that I've always struggled with, and it always felt so tacked on, and then ignored for the rest of the time that you played your character, and that was the traits, bonds, and flaws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you you've given me you. you it kind of goes back to the issue that a lot of people had with fourth edition. They, they read that flavor text on their power card and that's what they're locked into. Mm-hmm. If the situation doesn't quite match that flavor text, well, they can't use that power, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's just giving you a suggestion. Well, that sentence or two that you have for your traits, bonds and flaws, it's just there for, inspiration right for you to use to create those things for your character but no you put those in there and that kind of locks in but you never paid attention to them anyway after well, you start they're relegated the to the third page of your character sheet yeah mm-hmm. so obviously they mean a lot yeah <laughs> but if you had if you had noble yeah on there you know to john's point oh well he has to act a certain way or He's he's a, a snooty, whiny, right punk. You know, noble can be a lot of different things to a lot yeah. of different people. I love the idea that it's a one word, and it's up to your interpretation. Dune also does that really well um, as a system. If you like that mechanic, Dune has a super similar one. Um, I'll throw one last little note on that I think Wondering does great. That skill challenges that involve the mm. whole party, like yes. Um, the idea of we're all going to get together and we're all going to utilize different skills towards a common objective. Um, One Ring has very clear rules about how it works. It, it communicates setting an, a, an objective, setting the difficulty of that objective, then rolling towards successes and trying to achieve a number of successes before you reach a number of failures. And to me, um, it's not that much different than what you might expect from skill challenges in D&D, but just enough different that it felt really nice. Um, mm-hmm. I always enjoyed those moments at the table, so uh, I would give that another nod. Um, Troy, let's. I, I think we'll give John a moment here to think um, about some other aspects of Wondering, but one of the things I wanted to... Let, let's dive over to the Simbarum side. Talk to us a little bit about an overview of Simbarum and what you liked about it. Okay. Well, I'm... Here, I have, I have an admission to make. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking this fully upon myself because I I kind of hosed myself on the whole Simbroom experience because Uh-oh. I did not read anything ahead of time because, you know, I was still working and running back and forth and all that stuff. And it's just kind of one of those things that was always, well, I've played enough 
RPGs. I'll just figure it out as I go. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, uh, I don't uh, advise doing that because it's not like uh, like a mothership where you can set down or a morkboard where you can just set down, roll your character in a couple minutes, and go. Simbroom has a rich story to it, and 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 a lot of stuff that's in, you know is involved with the history and the lore and the peoples and all this stuff of what's going on. And if you don't avail yourself of that knowledge, you're not you're not doing yourself any favors. And I didn't do myself any favors in that regard. And then I tried to play it off by playing a character who uh, the 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 species that I picked is supposed to be almost kind of like mind wiped in a way where they don't, you know, they don't know their immediate surroundings and they're kind of like trying to re-remember who they are. And cause I thought, well, I could use that as a, as a buffer to not know about the setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what that did for me in air quotes, for me was that gave me a, a huge disconnect. I had no buy-in. Um, and the other players at the, at the, or at the table, at the virtual table, you know, to one extent or the other, they had read more than I did. Mm-hmm. And there, they had something that tied themselves to that campaign. And I was completely out of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how my character was supposed to act. Um, and so I just kind of like fell fell back on old tropes. And I kind of feel like it it made for a, an incredibly lackluster character for me. Um, and mm-hmm. I felt bad because of the richness of the world. Hmm. Um, so... Did I enjoy Do I enjoy it? Did I enjoy it? Yes. But I also feel like I, I screwed it up for myself. And, and I feel bad because I don't know if anybody else kind of, if it affected anybody else at the table as well. Um, I'd say that that's probably something that you largely applied to yourself and, and that feeling is genuine for yourself. I'm sure I would say that it didn't come across at the table as, I, I think your character ended up being an enjoyable part of the party. Um, and probably because you had the forethought to say, well, I'm going to make a character that is out of the loop as a character. <laughs> like you, like you said, like it may have felt not what you wanted it to on your end, but I think on our end, it felt like um, it felt natural and, and, and all that. Um, it, what it did though, right. Is it meant that it was harder for your character to have a spotlight than other characters exactly and and generally generally speaking i'm not concerned with getting spotlight i don't mm-hmm. mind that um at all really um but yeah it it felt more like you know not that i couldn't get spotlight but not that i could really fully contribute mm-hmm. when because there there was a lot of role play mm-hmm. in 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 our um in our session. And so it's like, I really don't have anything to contribute. Cause I, I, I have no frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And, and so 
yeah, while while that you know, I did, and like I said, I did that to myself, and I and I regret that. Um, but the setting is fantastic. It's it's very much layered. It's very. It has a darkness to it, kind of like what John was talking about earlier. This this is that gray kind of world where are you are you a hero? Eh, maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or or are you just out for uh, for yourself? Yeah, probably. Um, and that kind of hurt me too because I'm I'm very much one of those uh, players that enjoy doing the hero thing. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm, I think that's another reason why my my character was a little on the weird side. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very interesting. It uh, like the first main creature thing that we encountered, very creepy. That was cool. Um, and and I don't know if this was because it was Zach behind the, the game master screen or if it was Simbaroom itself, but the the creatures in this game are no joke. Do not mm-hmm. expect to go mono mono uh mono eye uh, zombie <laughs> or whatever. Um cuz it's not it's probably not going to end well for you. Yeah, it, it, I I'll say that like it took a little bit of a learning curve to like this is a, not a simple system. I think both of these are not simple systems. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I would I would argue that Simbarum, from what I can tell, both of them actually are not as complicated as D and D though. If you can, I would say that from a mechanical complexity, D and D is on the upper end of the scale. I uh, you might be I right think, on One Ring. One Ring is just so much different than D and D that you don't get a lot of carryover. I, I, I feel I feel Simbarum was very. If you Simbarum know D and D, you can. Simbarum has elements of like Thaco, right? And that like yes. sometimes you want high numbers, sometimes you want low numbers, sometimes you want like like that I think is where Simbarum's complexity comes in and with character generation. Mm. Um I agree right. with you John that like the character sheet and the amount number of abilities that you end up with like it's not as complex as D&D in some levels, but um uh one of the things that I loved and yeah, um, Gurk saying he ran away twice during this, the first encounter. <laughs> the first encounter. Yeah, it's like, where are you going? Yeah, come um, here. But yeah, I, I think I think like one of the things that I really loved, and that I know some of our players loved, and some of them didn't love as much, was the idea that like um, during character creation, there are classes, but those classes are just archetype suggestions, and really, mm. there's no such thing as a class. You build your own character yeah. based off of the wide array of abilities and powers available to everyone. Well, that's not entirely uncommon, right? Even like it's not. You look back at you look back yeah, at even right. as far back as I can remember the old Star Wars D6 engine, the old Western game stuff, where you saw that we thought when we were first playing it because we can't we came out of D and D that the the like the the Wookie the smuggler. Yeah, the failed Jedi. That all those things were classes that we were supposed to play. So we, but they were templates, and it's just yeah. like here's an example of what you can build. Yes, mm-hmm. that's that very play. much what this is. Yeah. But yeah. but it it, I will say that for I would say some that folks it's going to get compl- overwhelming. Right. I think if there's yes. anything to say about the complexity of it, I think that at its core, I still say that it's that's just me personally. I'd say it's not as heavily complicated as your D and D fifth edition, but I will say that that is a concept that's tough. When you're first coming into the game, you're like, well, I want to make really good decisions with my first character. How can I make really great decisions? Well, I guess 
this is my only option. This is the box. This is I'm gonna have to, if I'm gonna play a fighter, I have to play the fighter exactly like this, or I gotta play the ranger, it's gotta play exactly like this. So one of the things I, I don't like about the one D and D stuff is how like they could create a cookie cutter sheet for you effectively. You you can I mean, there's here's how to expand your character and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there's so much of like here are the default settings for your fighter. Here are the default settings for your wizard, that kind of stuff. Then I think that when you leave it really open-ended in character design like that, or in character, I don't know, functionality, functional design, that's a harder thing to lock into. It's like, you have to know the system if you really want to make the character your own. Yeah. And that, again, that goes back to, I didn't understand that going into Mm. character. Because I will say this about the Simbarum book. I don't like how it's laid out. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not an intuitive process to make your character. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and agree with you, and also say, if I'm going to give a flaw to Free League in general, it's with their book layout because mm. I don't like the I don't like the presentation in Symbarum as far as like how everything's put together. The ta- you know the flow of the book. I don't mm. like that one. I don't like One Ring. I don't like Morkborg. I don't like Alien. I love all the content in those books, but I don't like learning to play those games by reading the book. They are they are way, 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 way into the realm of reference guide that you're going to use an appendix and an index for and not read through or work your way through. Mm-hmm. Whereas some games are great at saying, start here, work your way forward, you'll learn how to play our game. Mm-hmm. That is not that's, how these books are. Yeah, they're, they're I'm going to, I agree with you, especially like I'm, I'm thinking, I'm looking at One Ring right now. And that was one of the things like, where is this at again? What does yeah. that do again? Like, how do I like a virtue? Where's the virtue at again? Yeah. And I'm constantly like control effing the, the PDF to trying to find stuff. And it's like, that's the kind of, there's, and it's not even like a, like an, like an appendices based reference right mm-hmm. it's like it's 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 in there somewhere and you've got to dig down to find the details that you need yeah and that i struggled because i like i said i didn't read so i didn't realize that those classes or archetypes weren't what you're supposed to pick from mm-hmm. and so the the what i picked probably wouldn't be what i would have built been some you know, mods at least yeah at least and and so that was kind of you know again it was one of those things where i did it to myself mm. um but uh yeah because i i don't like how it's laid out it, it's it's one of those things where i feel like if if that was me pick you know if i'd never played it before whatever and i was you know hey here's a here's a cool looking book i started reading it and as i'm going through I I don't know what I'm reading, and I probably never would have. Yeah, I wouldn't have continued probably. Yeah, um, you know what? You something very interesting. Um, so I do these how to play videos on YouTube. And I was just talking about this with someone today. The free league how to play videos get more views than anything, and I don't think that's a good thing. Mm. Right, it's, because yeah. it means that. Somebody bought a book, almost certainly, looked at it and said, I need help, and Googled how to play Symbarum, how to play Morkborg, right? And, like, I appreciate that there's resources out there, like, we're trying to provide for them, but at the end of the day, like, it's it's a very interesting metric to say people go online to find help for Free League stuff because it's not intuitive. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't think their systems are complex that much, but they aren't. Intuitive. They're not approachable. Right. Let me um, ask so, you this, though, really quick before we move on from that. They've got a box set. Do you have the box set for it? I do. It? Okay. I do. do you feel like cause I, I can only use Tales from the Loop as an example. I have a similar difficulty with the Tales from the Loop layout. It's not, I don't think it's nearly as bad. I think Tales from the Loop is laid out much, much better or much, mm-hmm. it's much easier to, to use, right? Yeah. But the, the role, the, uh, the starter set is great. You, I, if I were to, if, if I were to start, if I were to create a, a, well, I know we've talked before about creating a, a Tales from the Loop slash yeah. Year Zero engine by how to play. If I were to do it, I'd honestly just use the core rules of the script. Yeah, or the, the, not the, the core, core the starter, the starter set. set. Yeah, the starter set, like the the core rules that are in the starter set. Yeah, as the that's it. I I, I can't really speak to Symbrum that much because I I kind of bypassed the starter set, even though I had it, and I think mm-hmm. it's cool. We we kind of dove into some of the other adventure stuff, but I would say that like um, Alien. Alien has a pretty good starter set, like a great starter set, especially the adventure, and it is amazing. But, but, um, they leave out some rules in that starter set rule book that are actually Mm. very useful. And so, at first glance, you're like, oh, yeah, this book is great. But actually, once you get into it, you're like, where is the rule for how armor works? Oh, it's not really explained super well in the starter set. You really need the core book to get a good understanding, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, like, I do think the presentation is better, but they don't give you everything. And I don't like that. And I know it's a starter set, but I felt like they they could have done a better job of giving us more of the 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 core rules Mm -hmm. (laughs) of the game. but that, listen, don't, listen, folks, don't, <laughs> this is not me saying anything other than go buy the Alien starter set. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And play some Barum and play the hell out of some One Ring, right? Yeah. I, I think that it's just, it's one of those things where you kind of have to be relatively pre-invested. I'm going to pr- play some Barum. I'm going to play the, the One Ring. Or you, you may end up becoming a little bit discouraged whenever you're reading through the rules and trying mm-hmm. to figure some stuff out. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, so let's do this really quick before we uh, do the next part. Uh, so, Troy, we kind of did this before. We've kind of already gone into some negatives, but let's talk real quick about, like, I'll, I'll start with a couple little ones, but some some bullet point highlights from the Symbarum, either from a setting or from a rule set. Um, you've already said setting, so I'll, la- I'll leave that one lie. Um, I will say I really thought um, um, the concept of corruption is really cool that like basically you cast magic using corrupting magic, right? You cast spells using corrupting magic and um, basically how much corruption you can take on as a character to me was really cool as a metric for basically spell slots. Like um, that was really interesting as a concept that you're playing around with darkness and you can only handle so much. Well, um, two things, two things about that. Um, we didn't really get too much into corruption Mm -hmm. and I'm going to call bullshit because the only person that got any corruption was me and I don't (laughs) cast spells. That's right. Well, that's because, uh, both of our other players, uh, are super terrified of corruption. (laughs) And even though they cast spells, they basically built their characters to avoid, the, the standard levels of corruptive influence, which is hilarious. Um, well, but, but still, they cast spells. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I have a I have a boomstick. That's right. And I somehow ended up with corruption. And it hasn't yet come into play. There I don't know what it does. It's one of those things that like evolve but like in an extended Right. Like, I mean I mean for me, I mean I, for for big, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know I, what that's going to mean. I think in the short term, corruption is going to be a hard thing to get heavy notes of, right? But once you get it, if you're playing a campaign, corruption doesn't really go away to, to a large extent mm. once you've got that permanent levels. And so think about playing Storm King's Thunder, but, you know, you're picking up every every leg of the adventure, you're picking up points of permanent corruption, and you're building towards not just, it's a way of like, your high level character could die, quote unquote, not really die, but fall even in a high level in, in Simurum, just because their corruption got so high. And it's that mm. thing that never goes away. And actually, if you're not careful, builds against you and uh, be, maintains itself as a threat, even at higher levels. And I think that's a really cool concept. Um, and to tie it to spellcasting to where spellcasters really want to be able to mess around with corruption and like, they want more spells, but then the more they do, the more corrupt they become. Like that's a really, that's a really fun um, system, and I, I really dug that. Um, uh, I also really liked it. I did not like it at the beginning, but it grew on me to the point where I actually liked it a lot at the end. Was They expand the abilities from six to eight, right? And they have accurate, cunning, discreet, persuasive, quick, resolute, strong, vigilant. Um, those are... I did not care about those initially. I'm like, why are we have eight? There's no need to have more than six. Probably we should have less than six, yada, yada, yada. But then what I really looked when I liked when I got into it is that each one of these is basically paired with another. And so I wish they showed that on the character sheet. But the idea of like, hey, almost always when you are making a discrete test, you are making it against someone else's vigilant test, mm-hmm. right? That is a great concept that there are these pairings of two abilities that make as a game master and as a player, me know that, Hey, there's this big brute guy out there. I'm going to try to be discreet. He probably doesn't have a vigilant score, but he isn't a watchtower. You know, like obviously he's a, he's a, you know, he's a watchman. So he might like that idea of knowing how this is all going to work. I thought was really great. And it allowed me on as a game master on the fly to quickly adjudicate the difficulty of tests by thinking about, okay, Troy's trying to do a persuasive test that's going to go up against the other person's um, uh, resolute. And um, so I think this person is, is a spellcaster, so they're probably pretty high. Like, like it just made it pretty easy to, to mm-hmm. navigate. Yeah, I, I thought that was really great by the end. Not a fan of it at the beginning. By the end, I was sold. I did. I I enjoyed the the how, how you can you know make your character unique with the mm-hmm. different abilities and how you can buy up certain abilities and then yeah. take different you know flaws and things and that gives you more points and and how that helps you craft a unique individual. That way, if if you do end up making a character that's just like somebody else's character sitting beside you, at least you're going to have some differences um, as far as your makeup and, 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 and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was really cool. Um, almost like they were basically they were almost like different kinds of feats that you could take 
and then like whatever an anti feat would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I, I dug, I thought that was really cool. And, and Absolutely. it did, it did have that D and D ish feel to, to it, you know, in that respect. And so it was easy to, to, to glom onto and figure out. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So I, yeah, I, I think we, to greater or lesser degrees, we had a great time getting to know these systems and definitely playing with the people that we played with. Right. Like, like mm-hmm. we got to play with Gurk. We got to play with Ulysses. We got to play with, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to name off everybody because I will miss somebody just because we played with quite a few, but we played mm-hmm. with some great people and um, that was a blast. Um, that said, we've already covered something. I want to give John some time now and we can all kind of pitch in on all these. I think I want to give a little bit of time now to like, where do we feel like, where are the warning flags or the red flags on these systems? Where are the things that we did not like or that we really struggled with? And let's start with one ring. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to keep up with in it, to be honest with you. Like I said, there are a lot of numbers on the sheet that are uh, that are related to one another. And it's really easy to, to forget exactly like where you are in a lot of it. And then on top of that, there's like... There are virtues, and then there are distinctive features. There are cultural virtues. They're like all these like near. They're like close to the same kind of thing, but not the same kind of thing. There's just yeah. a lot of. It's not you know like class abilities, feats. Next, right? No, it's all blended. It is. Yes, all blended together, and it it kind of gets it smears on the page a bit. Like you, I'm constantly having to look at my page. To remind myself of what I have available and what I can and how connect. they connect to each other. Yes, and how they t- connect to each other exactly. Like, uh, like current hope, uh, or endurance, right? Like, is one of those where it's like endurance for and my strength and things like and how they all associate and relate to one another in it. Uh, I think is re- like this again. One ring and Sambarum, I think is a, it's pretty easy to say are not starter. Like first time player systems, they they don't feel friendly to them at least, or not. Right, friendly is not the right word because I really do love them, and I've really enjoyed. Uh, I love the time that I spent playing One Ring because I I just don't want to. I don't want to bash it. It's just you really have to know what you're doing in order what, to play it. What uh, a phrase I used to use at work all the time was approachable. Yes, yeah. you know, approachable. It's they're not quite approachable for the neophyte. The yeah. perfect example that I think bogged us all down right out the gate with one ring was what's the difference between parry and protection mm-hmm. when armor can have one or both or the yes. other, right? Like yeah. it like, all right. So, uh, you know, a shield has a parry. How does a parry affect your score again? How does it like, what, what damage does it block? Does it block damage? Does it make you harder to hit? What is protection? Mm-hmm. How does protection come to play? It'll only, it doesn't block all damage. It just blocks certain types of damage. Like there was so much, discussion about armor and shields and how those tie into wits right Mm -hmm. and how um you know uh it just like i think i've got it i think i've got it and i've now played two campaigns right exactly and i I played through that one and i think that i I still consider myself a (laughs) neophyte in the in in playing the game i don't know how comfortable i'd be trying to run it Honestly, yeah. because it's, I think with the way that I would end up running it is I would just default to almost like a D and D style of game mm-hmm. with the way that things would roll. You know? And that's, that's yeah. Good. Well, I was going to say, that's the thing that I 
So that's the piece that I don't like about it because I don't think you could actually do that because mm -hmm. this is not this is the most non role play game of all role play games. I know we worked in some role play, but you got to remember, John, we're like a group of diehard Tolkien nerds. Mm -hmm. Like we're we're desperate to have lore thrown at us and mm -hmm. to play as characters and get to like interact with each other as different characters in Middle Earth. I'm telling you, that game fights you mm. when it comes to role play. Because yeah. if exactly the things that we like, it's just that those things don't actually lean towards role play. The idea of there's a mechanical system for every phase of an adventure. That sounds great, but what it actually does, and it is great, I enjoyed it. But what it effectively does is it says, none of this is role play. Mm. All of this is... You're going to you want you're going to travel from point A to point B. Okay, you're going to roll these dice. You're going to consult this table. Then you're going to roll this dice based on the mm -hmm. table. Then you're going to make this save. Now it's going to be the next person's turn. They're going to roll dice. They're going to consult this table. Then they're going to roll these dice and they're going to make this save. Then it's going to go to the next person. Like it's the story plays out by the the roll of the dice as opposed mm -hmm. to characters being asked to fill in the gaps between the dice rolls with storytelling or role play right. right well i think that yeah. maybe i was shielded from a lot of that that perception of that from not running it on the back end and ulysses doing a really good job of uh to his credit a really great job actually of um kind of like acting as a an intercessor an intercessor to it and so like kind of like make still trying to make it very flavorful very make it very narrative driven and then on the but he's on the back end he's like pulling all these levers and he's desperately trying to keep the curtain closed behind him so that nobody else sees it. Yeah, when when in talking to you guys about the One Ring, that's something that I picked up just in the conversation and and kind of made me shy away a bit was because of all of the, oh yeah, everything is broken out into these phases and you have charts and tables. It felt very, it sounded very uh, Warhammer Quest to me from way back in the day. And I loved Warhammer Quest, but this was like an advanced version with way more charts and tables and things where Warhammer Quest is like, okay, I've got my barbarian. I'm laying down the map tiles. I'm rolling on the charts to see what monsters coming out. I'm fighting him and I keep, and I keep going. Yeah. There was definitely a lot of, I think even outside of just like the, the run, like running the game, I think there was still, now that I sit here and think about it, there was quite a bit of that as a player too, right? I talked about like the, the virtues of the negotiation and being able to look at your virtues, character traits and things like that and using those to your advantage narratively. But at the same time, it's like, okay, it's my turn. Well, I, I want to swing my sword. Well, hang on a second. If I want to swing my sword, am I doing it ferociously? Uh, am I weary? Uh, is it ill-favored? Is it favored? Uh, if, imagine or, doing this without an automated, automated oh, yeah. roll 20 character sheet. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and then we can even go to like the dice, the way that the die rolls work, right? Yeah. That's funky. That's Dude, funky. Like the 12 is bad. It's we like, played roll on. High, that's good, but don't roll too high. It's got like yeah. a weird, really weird function. Well, at 11 is bad. Yeah. It, it's 11, weird. Yeah. yeah. It, like we, we had a saving grace of Ulysses setting up a roll 20 page. I cannot imagine learning this game on pen and paper. Like, mm. like, like there is so much freaking stuff to manage. And I think that it actually works really great as a game. Once you figure it out, that's why mm -hmm. I like it. That's why yep. I say, Oh, travel's cool. Because once we figured out travel, I'm like, I dig this. 
I have to accept the fact that it's not a role play game, but you know what? I don't need that every time. This is a game about telling cool stories in Middle Earth, and it's not about you in you know being enveloped in your character most of the time. I thought that was uh, uh, I thought that was um, something that I just had to work through and figure out that like we're doing this in a different way. It's not the D and D way. It's more ritualized, right? Mm. And um, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I, I also like. Um, the, I really ended up liking the idea of how you build your dice pool to make a roll. Again, I really liked that to begin with and I continued to like it, but I also at sometimes was just like, I don't want to have to net, like this was not Ulysses asking. This was not, this was put on me by the game. I felt like, but I'm like the game only works. We found this out in the first campaign. The game only worked. You only were successful if you were using not just your strength, your, your ability scores and your skills to roll like in D&D, but you really needed to be using those one word distinctive features. Mm-hmm. You really needed to be using that um, uh, unique special, special gear, special items, right? You really need to be using hope points. If you were not using those things, you were going to fail. Mm-hmm. And that was the part that somewhat bothered me is that it, it, it became this thing where it's like the game is stacked against you unless you are pulling like referencing everything on your character sheet and trying to find a way of using a piece of your gear and a distinctive feature and the stick you found two sessions later mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to make your roll. And I'm like, I love I love you, <laughs> Middle Earth, and I love our fellowship, but I don't want to have to do all that in order to have any chance of su- succeeding every time. And I think mm-hmm. we ended up like killing it like by the end of that second campaign, we were like, just destroyed that last skill challenge, right? Yeah. So I think we we had figured it out really, really well. But I get back, I got just kept going back to like, I get it. But I feel like these should be things that you pull out for fun and when you really need them, as opposed to like necessary key components to every check to have a win. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see like the, you mentioned a ritual. Right, I think that's a pretty good descriptor for it. With, yeah. And I'll I'll use travel. I'll pick on travel as an example. It's like make a marching test, you know. And then if the travel, if the roll succeeds, take uh, the the place takes place three X's away plus one for each success icon. So it's like you have to go through step by step by step by step, and then and the, oh, and you discover roll uh, on the table. ruins. Yeah, you, you roll on the table. You discover a ruins. What does that mean, right? So like really it. You, it leans on the lore master to like to flesh it out and make it more of a story instead of just kind of like a sequence of events that occur along the along the path, right? Yeah. If you but again, so, this is like I didn't. I'm not. I, I'm like I'm looking at these now, right? Again, that a lot of this was obfuscated just from somebody else running it for me, and and Ulysses being the kind of lore master that wanted that narrative and wanted that flavor, and of course we wanted it too. So we kind of like we we. We uh, for we like side armed the uh, the the mechanics of it. And we're like out of my way, <laughs> we, and we made it we made it story driven anyway. Yeah, I would say like so. Uh, um, as a whole, I would strongly discourage this for new players as a system. Mm. If you like Middle Earth, I would encourage you to give it a go. If mm. you because I think there's some interesting stuff there. Um, uh, Captain Nolan here in uh, YouTube is saying, hey, uh, the other thing is the fine, tiny, thin print 
I would I would add to that in um so in the book <laughs> can get hard to read. I I would agree with you, and I would say that like that book is beautiful, and the language in it is beautiful. But I'm just going to re-stress. I think that book is it is so hard to build a character in that book, so yeah. freaking hard because all the information is scattered to the four winds, and there's no clear path through it. So. God bless them, but that but that book needs. Uh, Dune has a thing in the back, like the back fold. It has like here, here are all the rules that you're gonna want to reference on the regular, and it's super helpful. You just open it up and you're like, great, I can just do this. One Ring desperately needed that like condensed, streamlined guide to a lot of it. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, appreciate that, Captain Nolan. Um. I would say, though, that like uh, if you like Middle Earth, give it a go. Also, if you are a group that doesn't care about role play as much and you just mm-hmm. like the you like rolling dice and you like consulting tables like I liked that part of it. I had to get used to it, but I liked that part of it by the end. If that's your crew, I would say you're probably going to have a great time with this game. It's not a strategy game. It's not it's not tactics and it's not role play. It's this other thing, which is, you know, ritual, like we said. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's it is it is a, well, a parameterized role playing game, right? Yeah. So and, um, yeah, I, I think that I'll I want to double down though. It's like I, it does they do the the best they can to make it feel like a Lord of the Rings product though, and it's like or a Middle Earth product, right? There are things in here that I think are really important. Like again, going back to the patrons, love patrons. Like th- we've talked before about how. The having the party have a motivator beyond a MacGuffin, having somebody that's either as a mentor, coach, or something like that, is really, really important to, um, to like in order to kind of like to progress the story and give the the players some like a, a to, to give them a true north somewhere a, a direction to point in right. And so I think think things like that. I like the way they they handled out the, the the cultures, and I really do like the ideas, like these distinctive features that you can go to. They're simplified and generalized. Mm-hmm. It's not like to your point, Troy. It's like it's not like all the like the noodly characteristics inside of the the flaws, traits, bonds, and all that stuff in D anD. D. That's like what was it I had to do again, or what? What like it's one word. Oh, that's right. I'm honorable. My character is honorable, and he is and he he or she are is. They leadership is one of their traits. Like they want either they want to be a leader or they are a good leader. What does that mean exactly? Right. So yeah. those things are really great. But again, like you got to do some digging in order to, to, to figure a lot of this stuff out. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say like, would I play it again? Yes. I would play mm-hmm. this game again. I would not want to play it as like my go-to game. But but for the you know I love Middle Earth, I love playing games with people who are Middle Earth nerds, right? Mm-hmm. So I would play this, but I kind of feel like most of the reason that I would play it is because I like Middle Earth and I like playing with those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's an interesting system to learn, but I think if there was there's a better Middle Earth system to be had somewhere, and maybe it's One Ring First Edition because I know that gets a lot of love. Um, but I, I just think that there's, there's, there's enough here. Like I, maybe it's Murps. Maybe it's Murps. <laughs> You're going to find <laughs> out. Um, yeah, but no, I, 
I really, really, really wanted to just fall in love with this system. And I think what I walked away from being was like, well, that's interesting, um, <laughs> which is not the same thing. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Troy, let's 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 give you a moment here. Let's talk Simbarum negatives. And we've talked about it a little bit about it for a moment, but let's let's give it some more time here. Um, so, okay. I've got two things that really I'm not a f- fan of. Grinds your uh, gears. Yeah. You, you want to grind my gears? Um, I like you said earlier. You know, you, having to roll low, and you know, not that that's a, a necessarily a bad thing, but it's like, oh, I get a, I get a plus to this roll, so that's a minus. Mm-hmm. No, that's a plus. Yes, that's a the minus? worst. The worst plus. freaking part about this game is that, <sighs> I mean, it should be simple, right? The idea of like, hey, you're 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 rolling against your own target numbers, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you if you have an a eighteen in strength, you just have to roll a d twenty and get lower than eighteen. That sounds really simple, and it is really simple. I dig that. It is harder than you would imagine to mm-hmm. read a stat block. Um, that when every monster stat block is talking about how it apply, how to apply it as modifiers to your own roles, because you think, oh, that shouldn't be that hard. Well, here's the thing. It's really hard to remember it. Am I, if this monster says two in strength, is that a plus two to the difficulty level? Meaning that this monster is stronger than the average monster. Or is that a two added to, so that would be in effect your dice roll, right? Your dice roll gets an added two. Or is it a two in that it your ability score goes up by two, relatively speaking, so that you have, instead of an 18, you only have to roll a t- underneath a 20, which is actually how it is, I think. And it's so freaking annoying to be like. Yeah, every every time. Every, you every have, roll. You have to be like, oh. My quick score is 14, so what do I need? Uh, well, this monster, I think, is quick. I think it's pretty good on that. And let's add this into the mix. You have those contested checks, right? So mm-hmm. it's not your quick versus the monster's quick. It's Troy's accurate test. He's like, all right, I've, Troy, you're saying, all right, I've got to make an accurate test. I've got a 16. And I'm looking at a monster and be like, okay, I don't use the monster's accurate here to compare. Or do I? Is this a compared to the character? Like, this is communicating what I'm supposed to subtract when the character makes this roll? No. I have to grab the accurate test of the player, and then I think <laughs> add or subtract the quick score of the monster to your score in accurate before you make the roll. Like, yeah. dear God, it, like, I'm, I, I felt like I was a stupid person numerous times. I'm like, this should be simple. On paper, too. this should not be you. simple. But uh, I felt like I was a stupid person. No, I no, I felt you were a stupid person. But yeah, same thing. I'm just like, what? Why why is this so difficult? Or like if it's like, oh, you get a bonus to hit on this one. A bonus to me is a plus. Yeah. So And it's you, not, it's you, a negative. It's yeah. a negative. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just and it's just like Am I I'm telling you, to add this to my role, or are you taking it away from my target number? How many times did I say? And I, I, I love learning new systems. I that's that's a hobby for me, right? Like I'm not one of those people who this who struggles with this. But how many times during our campaign did I say, 
I don't know. Just whatever it comes out to, we'll do the math afterwards and adjust it if we need to. Like, yeah. Like, I just gave up half the time because I couldn't keep in my mind that, like, this number affects this number this way, and I'm supposed to reference this over here with this. Like, uh, I'm sorry. Like, freely great, amazing, 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 amazing setting. I think a great system. It's just that, like, this thing that should have been simple communicates a simple, looks simple on paper. Small numbers, right? Yeah, it's small all small numbers. numbers. I just can't figure out how to freaking apply them. And maybe that's a personal flaw, personal yeah. problem. And and that dovetails into I have discovered, thanks to some some room. I am not a fan of systems <laughs> where the player does all the rolling. Yeah, you said that several times. Yeah, um, because you know, because me being me and what I described before, screwing myself in this game, I created a character. That while I'm supposed to be able to hit really, really well, I have no armor. Yeah. Period. You're a barbarian. Yeah. Well, but I'm in some ways. I'm, in some ways. Yeah, but I'm wearing armor. But because of my size, I'm easy to hit. Yeah. So the armor doesn't matter. It j- it's just damage, damage reduction. reduction. Yeah. So, so I rolled a hit in in. I would miss a lot, so I'm not hitting anything. Well, then it comes around to the monster's turn, and so now roll I have to roll pass. to see if I dodge. dodge out of the way. I'm a I'm an ogre. I'm huge. I have no ability to dodge. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking like my armor class is like zero. Yeah. So... You were you I, literally had to roll a two or a one in order to dodge yeah. those things. <laughs> so, but I have damage reduction, which hopefully would help me out. But I mean, good God! It, so, so what? What effectively happens, or how I felt about it was, not only am I not hitting anything, but I'm also not avoiding any damage. So yeah. I'm beating myself up with my own dice rolls every. <laughs> Yeah, Nolan, Nolan has a great, uh, great answer for that. Just don't play an ogre, and you get everything a bit fine. Well, well, <laughs> Captain, had I read the damn book, maybe I'd have known that, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, well, <laughs> so, I would say that it does feel different when you fail twice in one round. It, yes, then if you if you fail and then I roll and I succeed against you, it does feel at least slightly better. Yes. Not not that it feels good, but like at least you didn't fail twice, right? Um, right. So I, and th- and I that's feel... exactly how it felt. After, after a while, I was just kind of like, <laughs> oh, I guess I'll hit myself again. And I love um, I love Captain Nolan's article about like, yes, just just roll the dice, and if it's close, we'll figure it out. That uh-huh. is exactly what we said. Like, just 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 let's roll it and see if it matters. Like, just like, go, man, just go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, because it just like I said, it felt like I'm just doing it all to myself. And at least if, you know, Zach is rolling to hit me and he hits me, I can blame Zach. Yeah. 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 But in this case, it's like, it's all me. And thinking about it from the aspect that I'm usually a, a, a game master myself, I want to roll. I, I'm still a player at the table yeah. and I want to roll dice too and, and, and have that fun and, and, and whatever. So I don't, get the concept of why it's cool to have all the dice rolls be 
on the side of the player. See, I like that, and it's exactly for the reason that Nolan's talking about. Like, it does. I like. I don't need to roll dice. I just want to manage the rest of the game and try to work ahead on the story or whatever. So, like to me, that was uh, that was super handy, and I didn't miss it at all. Um, one thing that I um, <clears throat> one of the things that I really liked, but that it was a big change and so this is a thing that i didn't like a lot i adamantly did not like at the beginning and by the end of it i really liked so kind of a mixed bag here um i really despised how the adventures were written to begin with Mm. so this is a gm thing it is written like a story almost like it's not a resource it's not a note it's not bullets it's not whatever it is you read through this you bounce around it's all paragraphs it's all you know details yada 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 like it's very fleshed out and it's very narrative linear sort of a feel and i felt like i'm used to like looking at a D adventure and being like i can prep this thing in 20 minutes mm-hmm. with simbarum i felt like you really had to read like a 40 page adventure two or three times before i felt like i was i knew what was going on and had a grasp on everything, and I felt like that was super important. So, um, <clears throat> by the end of it, I like that that first campaign, that first adventure that we ran through Troy was probably the adventure that I modified the least from anything I have ever DM'd. Mm. Like I ran that sucker by the book um, for the most part, and I had a blast doing it. And I think you guys enjoyed that story. I thought it was a great story. Um, but that took way more prep than the average D and D session. Way more prep. I, I can imagine, and you know, and I and I get that the the player facing dice rolls helps the, the the game master free himself up to do other to to do other things. But I don't know. I kind of feel like that puts you squarely to me, squarely. In the I'm a storyteller, yeah. Whereas, as far as DM being a DM in D and D, you are one of the players sitting at the table with just a lot more responsibility. Yes, but I don't feel like that the that being able to roll dice, you know, for the monsters yeah. and other things like that, takes away from my being able to keep an eye on all yeah. the knobs and stuff. Yeah. So, um, what does it? What does it? free you up to do if you if you don't see dice rolling as something that takes away right so i just find it i just feel like as a game master i would find it boring where i'm just sitting there going you know okay yeah you do this you do this you do this and just i would just be sitting there talking the whole time which i mean Mm -hmm. fine i I probably would give it a shot normally (laughs) i don't have a problem with that normally but it's kind of nice that i can you know use the dice as as an excuse to take a breath. Yeah. Well, so I would say, um, and I think this could kind of, we could, we could start to put a cap on and, and then do some final thoughts if you guys have them. But like, um, I would say I, I'm happy. Like I am intrigued and want to run more Simbarum. Part of that is because I love the setting so much. Mm -hmm. But I actually do like a lot of the system. So I know I just spent 
you know, 10 minutes complaining about it, but I spent 40 minutes ahead of that to talk about how much I liked it, I think. So I, I would say like, man, like this is a great game. It has its flaws, but it's a great game. And the sis, the setting is one of the best out there. So, yes. and they've got a 5e version if that's more your thing, but Which, like, that's kind of something I wanted to say, you know, yeah, yeah, you maybe wanna, that's it. You want, you want to run more, more Simba room. I would be curious to play in an adventure or two of the five E of the five E to see how that feels compared to what we ran through using using the the Simbroom rules. Yeah, I so I would say like for me, this is absolutely something I'm going to revisit. Run more campaigns, and one is not enough. Like I want to run more. Um, I want to play in this more. Um, I would not, unless I know that this is that I'm bringing in a person who loves noodly, like video games and things like that, Elden Ring or something, or Skyrim, something that's very like you got a lot of choices all the time. If I'm bringing in a new art role player, I don't know that I'm starting with them with Simroom. Um, I think it, it it does have a barrier to entry, and I think the barrier to entry is the options up front and the fact that you're sometimes rolling. And hoping for a low number, sometimes it's rolling for a high number. Like those are just complications that the average person isn't ready for, I don't think, and wouldn't wouldn't latch onto as naturally as something a little bit more straightforward. So, well, even as not a new person, you know, maybe just a grognard, I feel like, you know, don't don't flip flop me like that. You know, I did that in, in first and second and and <laughs> zero D and D for years. And and actually could remember which which was high, which was low, and and new Thaco, and you know, and all that stuff. And there's a reason why things change in advance because okay, well now it's easier, and kind of like you know having all the players roll the dice. The you know five e makes it easy. You know everything's roll high. To help yeah facilitate that story, you just know. And yeah, I would agree. And 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 to Nolan's point here, I think I would like to do some own my some of my own Simmerum adventures. But I also will say that the the adventures run that we did started with Copper Crown and continued on. I really enjoyed the flavor and the storytelling. It just took me a while to get settled in. Like I'm glad I started with running books out of their you know, with adventures out of the book. Mm-hmm. Um whether I would continue in that, I think is a coin flip. But um but I, I liked seeing how they would tell a story for this new RPG. And I think they did a great job. Just was, again, completely different from what I was expecting. Um, interesting. Well, do we have any final thoughts on any of these two? John, anything on your end? Well, I pretty much covered all of mine, really. That's the big stuff. <clears throat> I think that there's there's just, there's good stuff that's in there. I'm not, I know we've kind of beaten the dead horse with it. There's really good stuff in the One Ring in particular. I really can't speak to Samara. I'm, I'm pretty quiet on that, but... um. Yeah, I think that if you if you like Middle Earth, you should give it a try. If you uh, if you like a, it's almost like a tabletop board game slash role playing game experience with the things the way that things are all sequenced out and parameterized in the game. If you like that, if you're into that, or if you're you know, then this is the game for you. There, but any, but there are also what I there's a lot that I'm stealing from this too that I really like there are ideas and the way that they, the way that they handle travel and patronage and things like that, that I just like that I would, I would carry over into, uh, into my games at the table with pretty much any setting that I'm playing in. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Troy, anything, final thoughts on your end? As, as much as I've, you know, said about the things that I, that I didn't like about uh, Simbroom, you know, I'm glad I played it. Um, but I'm really, really curious as to what it would be like, you know, playing that in that setting or that rule system and then trying it with the 5e version. Same with uh, One Ring. One Ring. I would love if if you guys, once you guys get done with this campaign, if Ulysses would then run you, run, run you through uh, a session or two with versions of the same characters in the 5e oh, version. Yeah. To see how that feels. Um, just to see what, you know, because if nothing else, there could be stuff in there that you take to your to a, a D&D game in the future, if if that's actually a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I know that we uh, we we initially jokingly called this um, Cyberum versus One Ring Battle of the Century. Um, I would say though that Captain Nolan's right. Um, like. There's one of these systems, as, as, as someone who has not played both, there's one of these systems that's got its hooks into me, and it's intrigued that I want to go back to the well for a second dip. There's one of these systems that I like the world enough that I would go back for a second dip, but I would actually rather go do try it at a different like uh, 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 system that Nolan um, mentioned or the, or the one that you just talked about, the 5e version, Troy, or some other thing. I'd rather do that. So if I'm going to give a win to free league on one of these two say one is better than the other. I think Simbrum has the better game. Um, and gosh, I feel bad saying that. I feel like I lost some, something, something died inside, uh, but like it's, it's, it's a better game. Fault. He just didn't, oh. he didn't, he didn't, build, he didn't, he didn't run a good enough game for you to love it, I guess. Zach. Mm, yeah. yeah I guess that's true. I guess that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm glad we found somebody to pin this on. Um, yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I, I, I never would have expected, but I, I really dig Simbrum, and I'm, I'm all in. So I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, we're gonna be talking about this again next year, and I'm gonna be saying, I've now ran three Simbrum campaigns, and we'll see how that, how I feel then. But um, right now, this is the one I want to do. So, whew. All right. Well, that was a long episode. Um, yeah, um, that said, we had a lot of uh, issues in the beginning part of the stream. If you made yeah. it through that, first off, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Second off, uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, thank you, Troy, for editing it and cleaning up some of that. Um, yeah, but in June. Uh, yeah, in June. Um, but no, um, just in general, uh, if you if you did make it through, or if you made it through part of this, or yada yada yada, like. Troy will have an edited version uh, on the Geeks Camp podcast for you to go check out. Uh, I encourage you to do that. Um, um, we uh, This is a reminder now to go fill out the nomination form on our Facebook page, in our Discord, wherever you want to go find it. Go grab that. Fill out the nomination form to uh, nominate some of these games for a Golden Geek Award. And um, we'll be doing that on the 22nd. Last but not least, um, on my agenda is saying Winter Fantasy, Winter Fantasy, Winter Fantasy. Um, all three of us will be at Winter Fantasy mm-hmm. um, the first week of February. Um, so that's the, um, gosh, like the 30 or the 
first of February the through the fifth. Right? First through the fifth. Yep. So if you want to come hang out, yeah, and then um, yeah, uh, that would be amazing. We're gonna go. We're gonna play games. I'm gonna be running um, some Zweihander and some D and D and some Alien. Um, so if any of that sounds good to you, that'd be great. And Troy and John are running some Dragonlance, I think. So sure, I'm, I'm, I'm running some epics. Yeah, epics, epics, yeah. You're running some epics. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, thank you, Girk. Thank you, Killalot. Uh, uh, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Gridlock, and congratulations, Gridlock. Thank you yep. to Commander Root. Thank you to uh, Captain Nolan. Uh, so we got a commander and a captain in the chat tonight. Yeah. And Lord Vargas, um, thank you to everybody who hung out with us, kept it alive, um, and until Sunday, we'll see you next time. Play great games, everybody, and make sure you read a little bit about the, about the setting first. <laughs> right. <laughs> you stay safe out there. Bye, everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode and you want to continue the conversation with us, go ahead and head on over to our Discord. There's a link in the show notes, and you can always shoot us a message on Facebook to get a link there as well. Uh, while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind, give us a like on Facebook, give us a subscription over here on your podcast feed, uh, give us a review and some stars while you're at it. That would be awesome. That's the way we get in front of more people. And if you want to watch a live show, we're live almost every Sunday and Tuesday on Twitch and YouTube, and you can find links to all of that right there in the Discord. We'll see you next time. When, in six months, you're going to have a nice podcast episode to just... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of editing going on. But let's go seven. Seven months. Seven okay. Fair enough. All right. That's the only thing I know to do, honestly. Everything's, everything's looking good on my side. Time is here. Time for joy, time for cheer. It's too late for this, though. Oh my god, we, we had a like request. Swing and time and everything, man. Oh, how was that?